You know, you find yourself in a pandemic for, I don't know how many years that felt like. And, um, and, and you know, we come back together. It's like, well, how do we recalibrate? How do we, th- let's think through again. Let's use this as an opportunity to think through who is God calling us to be now? And uh, so we've looked at various topics uh, this morning. We're going to talk about what it means to be a reconciling people. What does it look like to be a reconciling people? So pray with me, and then we'll, uh, we'll open up God's word and uh, jump in. Let's pray. God, you are, you are holy. Lord, you are awesome in power. Our thoughts are, are so much lower than your thoughts, Lord. We, we cannot attain the measure that you have. So, Lord, we pray now as we open up your word, God, that you would take all the distractions of this life and remove them. Lord, that you would bring clarity to our minds and not only our minds, but in our hearts, that we would receive what you would have for us today, that we would take the knowledge and the wisdom of your word and that you would help us to apply it, not just now in this moment, but our entire lives long. God, we thank you for the gift that it is to sing together, to pray together, and to read your word together. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. So jump in with me. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to look at chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. Chapter 5, 16 to uh, to 21. Let's hear now God's word. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I love how John Calvin explained this scripture. Look at this up on the screen. He said, here is a remarkable place if there is such in the entire writings of Paul. Here's a remarkable place if there is such in the entire writings of Paul. Out of 13 letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, Calvin said this section is the most remarkable to him. This section is exemplary from his point of view. Why would he say that? I want us to think this morning about what makes this passage so remarkable. And you can, you can summarize it with two words. In fact, for the entire lesson today, we're going to focus on two concepts. That is relationship and reconciliation. Relationship and reconciliation. Just to get us thinking, though, think, think about a time with me where a relationship became difficult for you. Maybe it was a friendship or a a falling out with a, a colleague or a coworker, a, a classmate, a spouse, a boss, a professor, a student. 
Who is that person in your life who for some reason, maybe even right now, every time they come to mind, you sort of lose your sense of balance? Oh, there it is. You're thinking about it now. I can see it. Your blood pressure rises a bit. Your heart rate begins pounding. Relationships are messy, aren't they? Like we were meant for community. We were created to be in relationship with one another. We were meant to be a reconciling people, but I think it's so much easier said than done. You ever thought about like where the breakdown in relationships comes from? I don't mean like how the person wronged you or how they, they rub you the wrong way. I mean, why is it that we clash to begin with? We could probably go down all sorts of rabbit trails. Maybe it's personalities or politics or, or various persuasions. But just set those, those details aside and let's zoom out for a minute. From the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve were in this perfect relationship with their creator. And from that relationship now came the best relationship of two individuals that ever existed, right? God was literally walking in the garden in this perfect place. Adam and Eve were in this flawless relationship. There was no pain or sorrow. There was no woundedness or estrangement or argument. Every relationship was whole. Whether that be Adam and God or Adam and Eve, or even God, or even Adam, every bit of God's creation, we're told, was good. But you know the story. God said, listen, you, you can eat from any fruit in the buffet line, just not that one. You cannot eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't think about it. Stay away from it. Don't touch it. The Lord said, you do that. You keep that command. We're good. But then we know Eve got hungry, Right? She, she took the forbidden fruit, loaded up her plate. And, and I, Eve must have been a, a generous woman, right? Because then she, she, of course, shared the fruit with Adam so he could join in on the fun. And almost immediately, we see two specific consequences of that fall. Both are at the root of every relational downfall in your life. And here they are. First, Adam and Eve immediately find themselves estranged from the Lord, right? They're alienated. They're hiding in shame. Their relationship with God has been severed. And second, now with that broken relationship enters the same sin that invades every human relationship in history. And for the first time in creation, we see two people in a relational breakdown. God comes to Adam. He says, Adam, what, what were you thinking? And instead of taking the blame, Adam turns on his wife and he tells God, she started it. She gave it to me. It was, it was her fault. And now sorrow and pain and struggle enter in. First, they turned from the Lord. Then they turned on each other. And from there, whether friendships or family, roommates, classmates, the, the history of relational fallout begins. Split the page of the next scene. Adam's sons, Cain and Abel, they're, they're tore apart. Jealousy, anger, murder. Soon after that, we skip to the story of Abraham and the, you see the first fight of extended family. This is the first Thanksgiving fight, we'll say. The herdsmen of Lot and Abraham, they begin fighting over the land and there's not enough land for them. And so they part ways. And with every turn of the page, Sin now invades every human relationship on this planet. Just scan your life again. 
And here's my bet. My bet is you will find the same results of that fall still today. It's the oldest trick of the enemy, right? The evil one, he's not creative. He's just persistent. He wants to destroy the same two things in your life, your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. See, because a sheep isolated away from everybody else is vulnerable. But just as things start to get dreary, here comes the remarkable part. Look at this again in verse 17. If anyone's in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from Christ, from God through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, when it comes to every malfunctioning relationship in your life, the scripture tells us God has the power to transform all of it. Starting with our relationship with the Father and then moving into our relationships with one another, God makes a way. And what makes this scripture so remarkable, I think, is that if Paul's words are true, that means every fragmented relationship in your life now has hope. It starts vertically and then it moves outward. Some of us have heard this concept, we've heard it so many times. We're a new creation, the old is past, Jesus reconciled us to God, and we think, thanks, let's move on. If you forget how remarkable this lesson is, we forget the entire essence of what it means to be a Christian. See, from the very beginning of creation, long before the fall, God told Adam, dude, it is not good for you to be alone. And here we, we bring Eve to the scene, and yet with that one bite, what happens? Everyone's alone. Adam and Eve are removed from the garden alone. Cain and Abel go at it. Cain kills his brother Abel alone. Abraham and Lot forced to part ways alone. What do we do when we find that loneliness? Earlier this week, I was home with the girls. It was women's night for life group and Jen was out and about. And uh, Addie, my little four-year-old and I, we had a moment. We were getting ready for bed and it was time to brush her teeth and she wasn't having it. I was out of patience for the day and I'll spare you all the long-winded details, but in came the classic timeout. In our house, uh, the timeout's at the front door. We like it just cold enough to make him think about it. <laughs> but as Addie sat there, right, she started with this, this whimper of a cry. And this is what she said. She said, I'll brush my teeth now. I'll do better. I promise. She sat there uh, crying to me. It, it hit me. That's how we play our relationship with God, isn't it? Let me fix it, God. I can do better this time. Give me, give me another chance. I've got this, I promise. Let, let me show you, I, I can do this. It's not long before growing up, we can look back at our life and we go, yep, I messed that up. You know, apart from Christ, right? Our relationship with God is broken. And when we fail to see his grace in Jesus, that discord now spills into all the other relationships of our lives. Somehow we get this idea that, that to fix it, we need to earn it back. We get this, this image of God as that dad standing with his, his arms crossed, staring at his daughter going, no, sit there. I think I told you about the time a, a man off the street down in Houston, he brought a, a midweek tithe to the church. 
I had never met him before. He had never been a part of our fellowship before, but he wanted to see a pastor and he had a check to give him. He said, I'm giving you this money as an offering for what I've done in the past. I told him, I said, brother, that's not how this works. You've been lied to. You know, I I asked you earlier to think about, to name the tension in your relationships that you have with someone else, but maybe we need to start here. Maybe we need to think about where is our tension in relationship with God? So you think when we think about our horizontal relationships between me and you, most of the time we think about economics and transaction. You have me over to your house, I'll have you over to mine. You give me a gift for my birthday, I make sure to give you one back for yours. You you make me a meal, you better believe your dish is coming back spotless with that thank you card. And then it gets messy. I do something that wounds. How do I earn it back? You say something hurtful, how do we fix this? See, we've grown accustomed to this debt and debtor kind of relationship. And I think for good reason, because sin costs something. But when you take that same equation and you now apply it to your relationship with God, and you think, maybe God, if I just try harder, or can I pay you off? Can I make up for it? Maybe you'll love me again. You've got it backwards. I mean, just think about this. How does a mere mortal reconcile with the almighty? How how on your own do you do that? God's word says it's impossible. Look at this in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10.1. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Goes on in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The Old Testament is filled with sacrifices made on behalf of people with these hopes to enter back into right relationship with God. The only problem is they could never find the perfect animal to cover it. See, here's what makes this passage so remarkable, I think. This scripture holds the key to every broken relationship in our lives. If you want to know how to heal, how to, how to be made whole again in your relationships with others, starting with the most important relationship there is, look at this in verse 19. Paul says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you see the two relationships? First, it begins vertically and then horizontally. Look at how Paul clarifies this later in Romans. Romans 5. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience will they be made righteous. 5, 6 to 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. See, in that kind of grace, if we can get it from our head to our hearts, it begins to change everything. When we understand what it is that God has actually done for us, that changes every relationship in your life. Thomas Edison was on the cusp of finishing the first light bulb that was ever known to the world. And the story goes that it took hundreds of hours to to get this done, dozens of staff. And he finally had this single incandescent bulb. One day after finishing the prototype, he supposedly handed it to a young boy in the shop and he he said, here, take this upstairs to the testing room. 
But the boy was so excited that as he turned to start up the stairs, he stumbled and tripped and smashed the light bulb to the ground. Now, if you're a little junior, think about how that must feel. I mean, you, how do you fix that? You can't, right? It, it's shattered. Damage done. The little boy had no idea how to put back together a light bulb, let alone anyone else in the world. There was nothing he could do but turn around and face the music. But instead of destroying the boy and letting him have it, Edison turned to his staff and he said, you know what, let's start working on another one. A few more weeks of work went by and they finished the second bulb and the story goes that Edison walked over to the same boy, this time sitting timid over in the corner so as to be out of the way. He smiled and he handed him the light bulb. He said, son, take this up to the testing lab. What must it have been like to be that little, that little boy? I mean, the thrill of redemption, right? Despite his error, despite his complete mistake and failure, Edison says, here's a second chance. You certainly can't earn this. You surely don't deserve it. But it's almost as if Edison forgot altogether what had just happened forgiven, forgotten, loved. What's so remarkable about this passage to me is that it's a perfect picture of who God is. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new is here. And I think it's one thing for our head to hear that, right? But how do you get your heart to receive it? You know, much like Adam and Eve, we, we forget this truth that that God loves us and so we wind up hiding or we blame someone else or like little Addie, we, we begin negotiating like, Lord, let me fix it. I can do this. And here's the problem, I think, with that misunderstanding. When we do that, when we, when we live into that same broken mentality, it ends up wounding every other relationship in our life. Hear this. This is my hypothesis. I, I said this lesson was about two things, right? Relationship and reconciliation. how you understand your relationship with God, I think it will eventually affect how you understand your relationship with others. How you understand your relationship with God, at least in my life, begins dictating how you treat others. You know, if you're still trying to earn it, when you don't feel like you measure up, then guess what? That's how you begin treating everybody around you. Or when you feel like you have to work for it and you carry that same measure for your, your friends and family, they too feel like they don't add up. But when you see yourself broken as you are, but also saved by God's redemption, that changes things. Everybody familiar with the, the Michelin restaurant rating system? Have you heard about that? You know, the three stars. Uh, Michelin... Uh, Worldwide rates, uh, rates the, the food of, of the top class, the, the top restaurants in the world. And this man named Sebastian Brass uh, was a top chef in France. Michelin had rated his, uh, his restaurant with three stars for 20 years. Um, but back in 2017, uh, he shocked the food industry when he removed himself from the contest. And you've already seen the quote. He said, today at 46 years old, I want to give a new meaning to my life. He said he was tired, he was exhausted and, and wore out. He told Michelin, I don't want it anymore. I'm tired of worrying about the stars. He said this, he said, maybe I will be less famous and I accept that, but my goal from here forward is to create dishes in freedom without wondering whether my creations will appeal to worldly inspectors. 
Hear this again. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting then to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, now making his appeal through us. Paul says, here's the remarkable place. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you are now set free. And in that freedom, you are now ambassadors, messengers of that reconciliation. Not only have you been restored, but you now carry the message and the ministry with you. In Greco-Roman times, an ambassador would be sent to announce a peace treaty between warring nations. They, they were a translator. They spoke the language, right? They, they were the herald. But you can't talk the talk unless you've experienced the walk. Step one, do you realize and I don't think we ever will. Do you realize that in Christ, your relationship with God is whole? That there's nothing you can do to earn it, nothing you can do to fix it. You can't buy it on your own. You'll never measure up. But step two, from the moment you call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're now adopted as his child and sent as an ambassador on his behalf. I had a pastor friend growing up and he went through a bad church storm. The church literally split over, I don't remember, something petty like the color of the carpet or something. And uh, it was super ugly. Not the carpet, but the, the situation. And I remember his, my, my parents uh, asked him one day, they, they said, how do you love those around you who have wounded you, who've wounded you over such petty things? He said, oh, that's easy. He said, every day I wake up, he said, I look in the mirror. And when I begin my day understanding that I'm the first one in need of God's grace, how can I not pass that on? So I think what's remarkable when it comes to our relationships and our reconciliation, Paul says, here's where it begins. He who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I think when our hearts begin to soak in that promise, every relationship in your life now is invaded with something completely different, not sin, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are we called to be? We're called to be a reconciling people. We're called to be a people who put their trust in a savior, who see their relationship with the father, not as one of works, but of freedom. Not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done in Jesus Christ for us. You know, if you look at the vision of Spring Hill, like I believe that's, where everything changes. That's how relationships begin to flourish. That's how generations connect. That's how neighbors are loved. That's what it looks like to build authentic community. You know, theologically, all of God's word is exceptional, right? This book, all of it is remarkable. But what is remarkable, what is unique about this passage, what is different about this passage is that if we can understand it, it changes everything, every relationship in this life, first vertically, and then spreads horizontally to everyone we know. Let's ask God to show us how to be ambassadors of that reconciliation this week. Will you pray with me? And God, we... Many of us probably thought of that person at the, be, at the beginning this, this morning and our blood started to boil. 
And yet, God, we, we know we, we just sat with your word and we confess that we're no better. Lord, that your word tells us all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one who's righteous, no one. And so, God, would you help us to quit striving in vain and instead to rest in you? And, Lord, by that gospel, by that good news, that grace, that hope, we pray that you would transform us. Lord, shape us, change us. God, that we might first find a, a renewed relationship with you and then move toward the other. God, help us not to be isolated or displaced or alone, but help us to return to community. And so, God, I just pray uh, right now over Thanksgiving, just a week and a half away, God, I just, I ask that you would begin working on our hearts now to make that a meal, not only of thanks, but of forgiveness and love and reconciliation. And God, as we prepare our hearts now to receive this meal, would you keep us mindful of who we are and whose we are in you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.